Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're talking about cults and extreme belief, and we're covering the episode on Nexium, not the purple pill. Not the purple pill. The self-help cult. Yes, for which you might need a purple pill. Uh, yeah, because it gave me some indigestion, for sure. Seriously, Creepy stuff. Oh, man. So this was so creepy on so many levels, and it had to do with me, because I realized how easily I think I could have been snowed by that at, at least some points in my really? life. Oh. Now, the money would have been a flat-out turnoff. Yeah. So that would have been something that would have kept me right off, you know, because that's... Oh, it was so much money. Ridiculous. so much money. Happening. We'll get there. Ridiculous. So that would have been a turnoff for me, and I probably would have not gone forward. But a lot of the stuff they were talking about, ooh. Well, especially performers and, oh, they, I mean, they really preyed on people whose self-esteem needs a bit of a boost. Yeah, and I needed a bit of a boost. I still do sometimes, really, honestly. But, like, Jackie, you look so pretty today. (laughs) You're always so encouraging. <laughs> You're sweet. Uh, oh. We need like a sound effect. Like a, oh. <laughs> but seriously, I could have gotten totally into this. And it's the self-actualization that they peddle. It's the be your best self. It's a lot of the language of sacrifice and obedience when you're outside your comfort zone, even when your instincts are telling you it's wrong and to keep going forward and all of that kind of stuff. It's very um, intriguing to me. Really? Yeah, because how they call it growth. Yeah, it's not growth. It's not growth, but the terminology, it seems so mm, divine. Oh, oh. Well, that's why most cults are kind of borderline religious. Yeah. This was unique because this was a business. Yeah. Well, it's very, oh, I was talking to my son about it and I said, it's very much if a multi-level marketing quote unquote company and Scientology had a baby. Right. That's what this was. It really true. Yeah. It's really true. Yeah. So who was in this? So people are themselves in this. Right. Yeah. We're talking about people who are, are either former members. And then of course we have a a couple of experts and, you know, then interviewing. Yeah. So we have Elizabeth Vargas who's conducting the interviews. She's a journalist. has been on 2020. Good morning, America, the view, uh, the docu series, primetime dateline. 
Sarah Edmondson, she's an actress, though she is talking about her own experience in this. She's been in tons and tons of TV movies, lots of voiceover parts. Keith Raniere, I said Rainier last time because I forgot how to pronounce his name properly because I kind of put it out of my brain, even though I did have some information prior to watching this. I had, had listened to some investigation information. I'll get to that too. Um, <laughs> he wasn't a performer, or at least not a public one, but he's the founder. Allison Mack, she was Chloe Sullivan on Smallville. That's probably her most famous credit. And her last credit in IMDb that wasn't related to Nexium was in 2015. So she really did like step back from her acting career to do this full time. That was a mistake. I'm just going to say mistake. it right here. We have Janja Lelich. Um, she's a psychologist. We'll talk a little bit more about her later. Jennifer Cobalt. She was the victim in the Fright Experiment, also part of Nexium. Evidently, she also goes by the name Eden Shea Beck. Who knew? Internet Movie Database, evidently. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's recap this. Let's recap. Holy smokes. We learn that Sarah Edmondson was in Nexium for 12 years. She met her husband in the organization, and her entire social circle was dominated by the group. This yeah. was her life. She was pursuing acting as a career, wasn't satisfied, wasn't getting the kind of parts that she wanted. So she went on a cruise that was for industry people to be able to meet them and hopefully further her career. And this is where she met Mark Vicente, her future business partner in Nexium. After going on a cruise she couldn't afford, she went to a $2,000 five-day training that she couldn't afford. And by day three, she was willing to suspend all of her skepticism. They work quick. In this first five-day quote-unquote training, she learns the rules. Take your shoes off. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Call Keith Raniere Vanguard. Sometimes people have nicknames. I guess. And thirdly, that the program is designed to make you feel uncomfortable and that's normal. Oh, do you see that over there? That's a red flag. It's a red flag, and yet, and yet. You could empathize with this? How many times have I stood, okay, how real can I get? Can I get real? If you if you decide later that you don't want it to be real enough, I'll cut it. If you don't want it to be this real, I'll cut it. Out. Okay, so let's put this in a little parentheses, and you can decide later. Okay, okay. Or you can decide. Think about it. Okay. And if you just say, "Hey, you know what? Cut that out." I will. Okay, sounds okay. good. So this is what's weird is you know I'm I work as a minister. Yeah. And um, how many times in the Christian faith? Have we encouraged people to grow in their walk and who they are and in their character by explaining that sometimes you're going to be outside your, and I quote this, comfort zone. Get outside your comfort zone. And I have changed my tune about this. I don't, I don't talk like this anymore. I actually, even almost a year and a half ago, really made a conscious decision to not use that terminology anymore. Because what I realized was that, yeah, everybody has to move out their side, their comfort zone. That's a part of life. We have to learn new things. The point isn't to operate outside your comfort zone. The point is to absorb and learn and become comfortable with it or 
recognize the red flag and walk the other direction. And so this is the terminology I have used because we talk about like Jesus being with people who he would have been uncomfortable with. And when I was reading the Bible and reading about Jesus, what I realized was he was like uber comfortable. And so I thought, no, 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 he's not uncomfortable. We are. He sits at the table and reclines and puts his feet up. You don't do that when you're not comfortable. Right. It's us that's uncomfortable. And that's where we say you have to get outside of your comfort zone because we're uncomfortable. And look what he was able to do. Right. How similar. How similar to this with growing. You're going to get outside your comfort zone. You're going to do something that's uncomfortable and that's normal because when you grow, you have to accept new things that are uncomfortable. Super creepy. Totally saw myself like, wow, I see how they wrapped that lie in enough truth to make it go down. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is you can be uncomfortable for a while, but that gut feeling is also a gift. Yes, it is. It's a gift for you to be able to say, hold up, I need to take a step back. It can be more difficult to discern what is a growing sort of uncomfortable and what is a, I'm uncomfortable because this is bad. I think it is hard to discern. It would have been very hard for me. I think that that's why they use it. I'm certain that's why they use it. I'm certain of it, yeah. I think that's maybe even why it's sometimes abused in the church. I think so too. And I think that's exactly where my mind was going, was about how easy it is to use that as an abuse. But you know what? Some of the best things in life are so powerful that they really have to be held with respect. It's kind of like, you know, the ocean is vast and scary. And yes, we can go and sail on it, but there has to be like a certain number of of cautions and precautions and a healthy level of respect or the ocean will abuse you just as much as it will carry you to worlds unknown. Right. You have to be careful. Nefarious. This guy nefarious with this and he was no dummy. Yeah, no, he wasn't, but we'll get to that in a little bit too. All right. So Sarah said after she did the ESP or executive success program course, she did feel better and wanted to do more and did more, eventually to the point where Sarah and Mark Vicente, the man she met on the cruise, opened a Nexium training center in Vancouver. Sarah was their top recruiter. She said she, at the time, thought it was legitimately helpful for people. Yeah, I believed her. I did too. I I did. did too. I don't believe everything she says. I'll just be... Or just be real about Ooh, that. Oh, I cannot a wait to hear what you have to say about that. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So Sarah brought in over 2,000 people, and each of them took training that ranged anywhere from $300 a class to $10,000 a class. Is this not insane? So if the 2,000 people she brought in only did $300 classes, that's $600,000. I mean, why not me? I can teach classes. You you can, but you're not willing to exploit people. No, no, I'm not. But man, (laughs) you should see the look on Jackie's face. She's like, can't I exploit him just a little? Why can't I be slightly less of a good person? (laughs) It's crazy. It's just, I mean, you're right. It is MLM and they are peddling 
I don't even know what they're peddling. Well, I could say so many things, but I mean, it is, it's weird. It is absolutely. And it's different even like than a referral program. Like people made money when other people came in underneath them. Oh yeah. If they became recruiters, then they made money. And so if somebody that Sarah recruited became a recruiter, she then made more money. Right. It was some MLM. It was an MLM. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So then they introduce Keith Ranieri. They don't start at the beginning of this particular story when he started the organization or when Sarah joined even. They start with YouTube videos that he put out in 2017 to try and kind of clarify what Nexium was all about because the ship was going down and he's trying to mitigate. Yeah, these videos were a bold move that he made. I think it was... Uh... Probably not a good idea. No. Um, but they were well produced. They were. And it was amazing to listen to him politic threat. <laughs> yeah. You know? Did you watch any of them? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Maybe I will so, later. He said during these videos that really his goal was to bring joy to people's lives. He may have a different definition of joy than I do, but okay. Let's talk about Keith's accolades, why people (laughs) followed him, because it's not immediately obvious from the videos why people follow him. He spoke in full sentences at the age of one. That's what they were told. Which is typically a sign that someone is very intelligent. This is well-documented. That said, Einstein didn't talk till he was like four. You know, kind of goes both ways. It Whatever, can. man. He was a judo champion by the age of 11. He was a concert pianist, an IQ of 240. Anything over 140 is consen- considered genius level. He had multiple degrees, math, biology, physics. And he was the founder of Nexium and their philosophical movement, which was called Rational Inquiry. Sarah said that she felt that the support of others to the organization was really made her feel more confident in her position there. Richard Branson took a class. He denies this. The Dalai Lama endorsed it. Eh, that's, uh, not, that's not really true. Yeah. There was a monk who lived in New York State who invited the Dalai Lama to speak to the organization, and they touted that as endorsement. That particular monk was later relieved of his position due to corruption. Nice. Yeah. And then Allison Mack joined, you know, actress, somebody Sarah would have looked up to, being an aspiring actress herself. Many young actresses would have looked up to her. Yeah. So Mark helped create these videos, and he said making them, he, can't, he couldn't see what he sees now going back and watching them, which is that Keith Ranieri didn't say anything in these videos. Because I was like, well, what is rational inquiry? Perhaps this is a legitimate sort of philosophical thought that we should consider, despite the fact that this man is horrible, Maybe he had, you know, he and his genius brain came up with something decent. So I went and watched the video, What is Rational Inquiry? And he talks a whole bunch in this video. 
and says nothing. Like you're, you come out of it. Like I have no idea what rational inquiry is. I mean, that's the whole politicking through it. They're able to just bloviate with words and not actually say anything. And like he's smart enough to talk around it in a way that you're like, wait, what did I just listen to? What? What? He but uses not, yeah charm. He uses body language. He uses uh, a relational moment. So they do show a clip of this in the in this particular mm-hmm. um, story. So they show a clip of Alice and Mac getting all emotional because he said something that just sounds beautiful to her. Yeah, and so she gets all teary eyed. And so when you're watching this kind of relational moment happening, it's actually endearing. If you don't know anything else about it, if you really just look at it objectively, it sounds like he's just, you know, shooting it on the back porch. Yeah. Trying to look at things abstractly, you know, when you're kind of in your open mind and things that you come out with may not really be rooted in anything solid yeah but they sound like they might be uh-huh. so you get kind of oh well, where is that leading me yeah and it's kind of fun you know but you haven't solved the world's problems let's be honest no you might have had a few beers by this time <laughs> that's what it kind of looks like yeah is this little emotional moment but it's endearing yeah um, and so i could see how mark didn't see it yeah yeah well, and he, by the time they made these videos, he'd been oh, totally. indoctrinated for a very yeah, long time. Totally in. Yeah. And I don't feel bad that I didn't find the appeal because neither did Elizabeth Vargas. She was like, I don't see it. He's not like exceptionally attractive. He's not unattractive, but he's not exceptionally attractive. He's not exceptionally charismatic. He seems safe. Sort of. That's what he does. Yeah. But that's what sociopaths oh. do. They they seem sort of safe because they're charming enough, but also look not threatening. They don't look like somebody who is going to bowl you over. They don't look like a dominant personality. They Man, don't. That's annoying. It's very manipulative, Why right? Can't they just look creepy so that we can identify <laughs> them, please, <laughs> please. Anyway, so Mark tells the story of seeing a video where some women's heads are removed uh, forcefully and it's very very disturbing and he shares with Keith because at this time they were good friends I guess if that's what you can call them I don't know if it's friends I don't know I don't know they were they had a close relationship let's put it yes that way. and Mark looks up to Keith still like yes. looking for his kind of wisdom yes and so He shared how disturbing it was, and Keith really wanted to see it, which Mark thought was weird because he just kind of wanted to unpack it. But now here, Keith wants to see it after he's been told how terribly disturbing it is. So he shares it with him because there's a level of respect there that is maybe unearned. And then Keith wants to talk about the perspective of the various players. Like, they're not players. This was real and awful and no so he does maybe a little red flag but not enough for mark to really separate no it's one of those things that's easy to look back on because you're putting it in a context but at the time you think you're speaking to someone who is incredibly intelligent and very rational 
and obviously emotionally intelligent. Okay. Not knowing that he's using that for nefarious reasons. Right. And you have a guy who's looking at it and he's looking at it almost like a researcher would look at it and say, okay, if I was going to examine this for, to make good in the world, then I need to understand what these bad guys' perspectives are so we understand what we're going after, right? The FBI would do the same thing. Yeah. Profilers would do the same thing. They would look at all these different perspectives, not because they condone it, but because they're looking for patterns to recognize. Yeah. He played that role, but yeah. he's nefarious. And so that's oh. not what it was about. See how hard it is? It's so hard. Again, they need like a button or something. I mean, seriously. <laughs> All right. So Sarah and Mark each start kind of wondering about the organization separately. Sarah's wondering about the relationships that Keith has with women in Nexium. She's a little unsure of what kind of relationship they actually have with him. Mark sees that Allison Mack is enrolling almost exclusively pretty thin young women in her classes. I mean, it kind of makes sense. She, here she is a pretty young, thin woman who's an actress. She's running in those circles. She's also, so those are the kind of people she's spending time with. So she's bringing in, it's still a pattern. It's still it a pattern. It used to be more diverse from what I understand. Yeah. They definitely indicated that it had narrowed in its population. Yes. So Allison Mack had an offshoot called Jeunesse that was officially affiliated with Nexium. It was very expensive just for women. $15,000 for three eight-day trainings. A lot of money. And these basically told women that they were raised weak and that they were designed to be monogamous. Men are strong protectors and prone to polygamy. Yes, they were meant to be polyamorous is what they Mm -hmm. had said, that evolutionarily speaking, they were meant to spread their seed and the women were meant to submit to the one man. Patriarchy, thy name is ugly. Mm-hmm. It's basic cult stuff, indoctrination through conformity and compliance. So Lauren Saltzman, she is a player here. We don't meet her, but we see photograph of her because she was Sarah's friend and her mentor with Anexium and officiant at Sarah's wedding. She was a high-ranking member of Nexium, and she recruited Sarah to DOS. It's not technically a part of Nexium, is what Sarah understands. That it's all Nexium people, but it's not really a part of Nexium. So DOS, D-O-S, is Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which generally translated means master over the slave women. It's a master-slave relationship with a lot of requirements. I mean, the name doesn't even tip her off. I mean, the name would have been enough for me, even in my early 20s. Yeah, but this was... She'd been indoctrinated for For more than a decade. More than a decade. Somebody she trusted is telling her that she should do this. So she had to respond day or night within 60 seconds to a text from her 
master. She understood that there were a number of masters within the organization. She was a level or two down. If they did not do this, there was a physical punishment for each member, whether even if they responded in time, if everyone didn't respond in time, there was punishment for that. They had to get a mark of some sort. It was assumed by Sarah that it was going to be a tattoo in order to prove their commitment to the organization. So, and as an act of trust, she couldn't see it until the initiation night on March 9th, 2017. So I don't know about you, but I think the best way to get people to honor their commitments is to keep secrets from them and require a bunch of crazy stuff from them. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Apparently so. <sighs> now, I mean, she says that she had a lot of reservations that Laura had to really talk kind of talk it. her into it. Especially when we get to the collateralize their life bit. Ooh. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is crazy. They, oh, see, I used that word again. That's okay. But is this legit? I think this is that, legit, I think right? we're going to, I mean, I'm thinking we're going to go with, this is legitimately crazy stuff here, that this was a mental manipulation in ways that expanded people's mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to provide nude photos. They had to provide uh, confession letters, okay, to whatever crimes. Now, these, I only know this because I listened to a podcast about this, and it was several episodes long. Not all of the confessions in the confession letters were true. Right, they just had to make a confession. They had to make a confession. And if it wasn't harsh enough, if it wasn't damning enough, they made them rewrite it. And it had to be postmarked so that it was a dated sort of confession. Then she made videos bad-mouthing four of her family members. That's the way I want to start a committed relationship with friends of mine. Right? How does this even feel okay? The amount of indoctrination that has to take place before this. Now, she did say, again, I reiterate, because she said she didn't feel good about it. Right. She really kind of started to do this against her better judgment. Mm -hmm. But that's how these things work, is that you are indoctrinated and your entire life is built around it, so much so that you have no freedom to step away because of what it costs you to step away, even when you know that it's not good. 
Well, and she's been taught at these training courses that if it makes you uncomfortable, that means you're growing. Mm-hmm. So they've groomed her for a they've long, groomed her a long, long time. So on the night of initiation, they're at Allison Mack's home in Albany, New York, and they learned that it will not be a tattoo that they're going to be branded with cautering, cauterizing wand. This is, it's quite unpleasant. This is torture. Yeah. It's really plain and simple. Yeah. Sarah wasn't feeling good about this. Lauren had to talk her into it. Sarah feared for the collateral she had provided being released, particularly the videos of her talking poorly about her family. She knew it would be extremely hurtful to them. And she did not want that released. And Lauren told her, it'll be character building. You're, you're going to grow so you're gonna much grow. from this. And so Sarah said that after the fact, she did indeed feel proud for enduring this pain. And she was glad to have overcome what she called a flaw of femininity, which is flakiness. Yeah, because they had been taught. They had been taught that men hold to their commitments, but that women do what they feel and that that was a flakiness and that by going forward with her commitment, she was... And see how they twist a truth? Yeah. They just twist a truth. But you know what? I mean, how else do you reconcile it? You go through this torture that you have nothing else to say, but yeah, I made it through it and be a little proud of yourself. I mean, otherwise you just, you just crumble. I mean... right. Well, and she said she felt very close with the people that she endured this with. Well, trauma does that. Yeah, trauma Mm -hmm. does do that. Sarah is looking at her brand and finally comes to realize what the brand really is. They had given them justification for every line that they put on these women while they were doing the branding. Telling This means that I couldn't find what that was. That must be like hidden somewhere because I really want to know like what it was they said right. that each one of these lines meant and how it was justified. And all of that was big fat lie that they came up with because what the brand really consisted of were the initials of Keith Ranieri, K-R, and Allison Mack, A-M. I'm going to post a link that has pictures, so you want to be cautious about looking at that. It's ugly. I don't think it's graphic. I mean, it's graphic in that it's like a burn. It's a burn, but it's but also in a sensitive spot, so some yeah, photos may the, not the, the, be cropped. The, yeah, and um, I, I won't post anything that doesn't have cropped in on the... But if you want to find us on social media, you can do that on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod. You can find us on Facebook Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment, or you can send me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. After she realized what the branding actually consisted of, both Sarah and her husband left Nexium in June of 2017. It was only after that she left that Sarah got confirmation that Keith not only had sexual relationships with organization members, but had vows from several women that they would only have relations with him and no one else, despite the fact that he was not faithful to them. He was indeed the grandmaster of DOS and had been controlling dozens of women through this organization. Janja Lejic is the sociologist who appears on the documentary. Uh, she's a cult expert, and she said that the branding 
is when a lot of people would normally leave. This would be like a very much a litmus test. They would either not go through it or they'd leave shortly after. But that any of those who stayed would be even more fervent in their beliefs. That when evidence contradicts our beliefs, that people stick with their beliefs because that is emotionally much safer. Yeah. And that's something people don't realize. It's interesting because the the split, the fact that that people become more entrenched when people around them start to recognize a situation. Those that remain, the smaller group that remains, they become so entrenched, but part of it's actually because of the exodus. Yeah. And, and it's funny because cult leaders will do this and they will test the faith of the people, but it's actually a twofold tool. Let those people leave because you know what? Not only are those people leaving, but it's making your actual believers even more entrenched in your beliefs. And so it's um, scary. Yeah. It's scary. And then we learn about Jennifer Cobalt and the fright experiment that included the video of the woman being murdered that Mark had shared with Keith long before this. Sarah apologized to Jennifer for whatever involvement for recruiting her. I think she was the recruiter. I don't think she was. I think it was somebody else who recruited her, but she recruited. Oh yes. She recruited Jennifer to Nexium, but somebody else within Nexium recruited her to the fright experiment. Right. Yeah. But she was sorry for the part that she played in it. Why the fright experiment? So Dr. Lelich says that it's used to determine the next steps for individuals. It desensitizes them to the abuse to come and helps determine what's going to work best to ensure their conformity and compliance in the future. Keith Ranieri, Allison Mack, and several others within the organization were arrested in the spring of 2018. Sarah's relieved, still a little nervous. And she also kind of feels bad for Keith and Allison. And Dr. Lelich says that this is normal for victims of this kind of abuse. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Even though it feels preposterous. Yeah. It's normal. Yeah, it is normal. Unfortunately, and that's where this episode ends. There is more to come. We will get to a lot of that right after this quick break. On the Story Song Podcast, we closely examine the story of famous story songs. We'll walk you through the lyrics you've heard a thousand times, but have never thought about. Leave it to us, because we overthink everything. Spread the word around. Guess who's back in town? Why is this my job? (laughs) Why is this on me now? I didn't even like those guys. (laughs) We discuss the history of the story songs you love. Show of hands. Who here knew that Riggs Springfield was Australian? No clue. The Wikipedia article started with, you guys, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So Keith Ranieri was convicted in June of 2019, and the trial was enlightening. To say the least. Yes. So he claimed that he was only helping his followers reach personal fulfillment by breaking down emotional barriers. Thank you, New York Times. Jury deliberated for less than half a day before they found him guilty on all seven counts against him. Those seven counts were 
racketeering, sex trafficking, conspiracy, forced labor, identity theft, sexual exploitation of a child, and possession of child pornography. That's a, one of yeah. those is bad. All of them is disturbing on... All of them is really, really awful. So his defense attorney said... It was very obvious the jury had strong negative feelings about Keith and about certain aspects of his lifestyle. Not everything that's offensive translates to a crime. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I would say a lot of the true. things that you find if one might find offensive about Keith Ranieri are indeed criminal. Uh, most of them, <laughs> if in his case, if not all. Yes. So there were. Five senior women in the group who, prior to Keith's trial, pled guilty to their own charges. This included Allison Mack, Claire Bronfman, who's the heiress to the Seagram's fortune. Keith also charged more than $100,000 to a credit card and wrote checks totaling more than $300,000 to a Nexium member who had passed away. So she died. He charged $100,000 to her credit cards and wrote $300,000 worth of checks out of her bank account. Wow. This is more than we don't approve of his lifestyle. Yeah, no. No, this is way beyond that. These are certifiably, you know, criminal acts. Yeah. You know, um... Whether or not he's found guilty, right? They're still being charged with legitimately illegal behavior. Yes, absolutely. The security associated with the trial was like he was a terrorist or a drug lord, that jurors' names were withheld. They were brought to and from court in vans driven by U.S. Marshals. They were, I, a lot of the witnesses were identified by only their first names because Keith Ranieri uh, had a history of retaliating against people who displeased him. Well, and even Sarah had talked about how she felt she, she had to nervous. look over her shoulder a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, understandable. Um, and then they talked, you know, again uh, during the trial about how these courses, men were presented as protectors and women were self self-absorbed and narcissistic and that Keith Ranieri's views of women were deeply misogynistic. Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> and just to reiterate that he was indeed the highest level leader of DOS that he and Allison Mack meticulously planned the branding ceremonies and made them resemble a sacrifice. And at one point he said to her, do you think that the person who's being branded should be completely nude? So I, it's pretty damning that, yeah. Yeah. That he knew what was going on and was a part <laughs> okay. of it. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're a genius and you're putting all this in writing. Uh, right. Uh, you know, and then in the, in the show, they talk about how Sarah was holding the phone yeah. to film and a text from him came through oh. saying, how's it going? And so he had even checked in a little bit. 
he did. Do we believe all of that? Do we believe that that was real? I don't know. I don't really think I have a reason to disbelieve it. I don't know that I have a reason to disbelieve it, but it's very convenient. I like to hope that, you know, maybe it was somebody looking out for her and letting her know what was really going on. Also, it's very convenient that Sarah happened to be the one holding the phone when that came through. Well, maybe, <sighs> except I think it's part of the why she left. Yeah. I think those were mm-hmm. those moments that pushed her towards putting dots together that made her go, they're lying to me. Yeah. Because I saw that text. Yeah. And had it been somebody else holding the phone, we might be hearing their story. Right. But it's one of those, it happened to her, you know, therefore she kind of then, because she said she was like, I realized then that, that they were lying, that he was involved. And so that was a seed in her mind. So I don't know. I mean, it could be that she's exaggerating, but it also does seem like that was one of the points of waking for her. Maybe. Okay. I'm willing to reserve judgment on it. I just uh, wanted to get your opinion because that's the kind of thing that I can definitely see myself where I in that position, kind of a lie I would tell myself to help me get there, get there. or no, to help that. me justify why I left or why it took so long. Right. You know, I can yeah, see that. I could see that. I mean, I have no reason to disbelieve her. Yeah. Well, cause it wasn't his name. It was his initials on the text. Right. You know, and she was holding Allison's phone, but you know, and so she said, I put it together that yeah. that was, it must have been him. It was his initials and it right. was her phone and they were so close. So even she said she didn't know for sure. It was just okay. a matter of, yeah. you know, putting the pieces together. Right. But whether it was a lie she told herself or not, I'm glad she said it to herself. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> whatever it was to help her get out. Right. You know. Uh, she did an interview with Courtney Shea. For Refinery29, Sarah did, and she just had some interesting things that she talked about. That's how a cult gets you, by starting slow, promising to help you realize your goals. If someone had said early on, hey, Sarah, can we brand you with our leader's initials next to your crotch? I would have said that's blanking crazy. Like, oh, good. Okay. Glad you just weren't right right in there. Because that's a different issue altogether. Peter's just willing to jump right in. Interviewer asked her, you entered into a slave-master relationship, providing naked photos of yourself as a form of collateral. She says, hey, I get it. If this hadn't happened to me, I'd have been the first to say, what an idiot. Why didn't she leave? Like, (laughs) okay, good. You know, sometimes distance is clarity. For sure. And... um, I don't know. Are people in their late 20s really? I mean, she's my age. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, like, we're almost exactly the same age. And she says, I was in my late 20s. So that stage where you're not a kid anymore and not fully an adult and still figuring out what to do with your life. I by the time I was in my late 20s, I was pretty much an adult. I had a house and was married and had children and a career. And yeah. I was too. I mean, I had been married already. Yeah. I, I had a child. Well, by my late 20s, I had two children. Yeah. And yeah, I probably didn't really know what I was going to do with my life except doing all of that that was happening. I mean, um, do I know what I'm 
going to do with my life right now? I mean, and I mean, it changes all the time, it, it right? It does morph and move. Uh, yeah. I mean, I right mean, now I have a good plan because yeah. you can't go to school unless you have an idea. But yeah. the truth is, if you ask me what am I going to do with my degree, I can give you a bucket full of things that I'm interested in. So, right. you know, do I really know? I don't know. But I definitely know who I am better now than I did then. That's fair. I was a, had I been single then, That's fair. had I been trying to make it on my own, I don't know. Right. Well, and she does say that she was an actress and she really was in a group that needed some uh, validation and confidence and that made her more vulnerable to this. The interviewer asked her about the appeal of Keith Raniere and because she's like, I really don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, Courtney. I don't see it either. So... She said that she likened it to uh, the Greek chorus. The what? The the Greek chorus, that they talked about him a lot and sang his praises a lot long before he anybody ever met him. Oh, that's so true. So at the end of every training session, they're saying, thank you, Vanguard, and talking about what a genius Keith Raniere is this whole time. So you come to him and she said, he's very much deified that you come when you do finally get to meet him. It's like meeting a God. Right. So you've already had this preconceived notion. Everything he does fits that context and that framework. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So they do this little role play of the sales technique because Sarah, at the heart of it, was a salesperson. Yeah. So she says, uh, are you up for some role play to the interviewer? She says, so you're a journalist. Maybe you're telling me what you want to achieve in your career. What would that be? So, well, I'd like to earn more money, work on more rewarding projects. And what is getting in the way of that? What are you doing to sabotage yourself? Like, well, and it's all legitimate questions at that point. At that point, there's really very little difference between a person entering any kind of like life coaching. And I mean, by life coaching, I'm referring to professional life coaching, you know, uh, in your business like world, you know, like what are you looking to achieve? And then that helps you to understand, okay, so let's backtrack and start making, you know, here's your here's the dream, here's the goals that meet the dream, and here's the tasks that meet the goals. Okay. And And, I think that all of those things are different than saying, what are you doing to sabotage yourself? Maybe it is, but I don't see a difference at all. Oh, really? Mm -mm. See, and I see a big difference is saying, not that you're not following the right steps to achieve your success, but you're actively in your subconscious preventing yourself from achieving your ambitions. And I think that there's a difference there. There's a difference of ignorance of, I don't know what I need to be doing. And I'm willfully, consciously or not doing something to keep myself from achieving these things. I think there's a difference there. And I think that that speaks to the kind of people that they were going after. The people who were vulnerable and didn't have a lot of self-assurance, weren't confident in their own personality and abilities. So do you think that it's not possible that somebody be sabotaging themselves? No, I think that they can, but I think that when you're coming into it 
from this kind of organization that they're seeking to take advantage of it. I think people can self-sabotage. Well, Absolutely. What I mean, I don't, I don't disagree that they're going to take advantage of it and be nefarious. Right. What I'm saying though, is that they're presenting legitimate questions that in the hands of a professional or in the hands of say an actual mentor or a spiritual mentor would be able to help you unpack and kind of like help you get better at that. Yes. But they're going to use it. But I think that this is early to be asking that kind of self, that kind of question. Do you don't insinuate that someone's sabotaging themselves until you're sure that they know what they should be doing and aren't doing it. I think it's a Mm -hmm. deeper, really, you don't insinuate self-sabotage without nefarious intent until you have a much deeper relationship with somebody. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So she's talking about you could stop being part of the problem and start being part of the solution and you'll only have to pay $2,500. Yeah, that's... (laughs) See, I'm cheap. You would lose me right there. Yeah. Well, me too. And she says, oh, that sounds like a lot of money. Absolutely. I was an out-of-work actress living in a basement suite when I paid that money. Did I have it? Absolutely not. Was it worth it? A thousand percent. Yes, I would spend $100,000 to get what I have gotten out of training. Definitely. Do you trust me? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 she is like, her sales technique was go for the jugular. Find somebody who is lacking in self-confidence mm-hmm. and needle at that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the most interesting part of it, I thought, was maybe this isn't for you. Maybe things are working out well in your life the way they are. And that's okay. She said that's part's called the takeaway. And it's so manipulative. Right. That's like, you- oh, maybe you don't need that. Maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you're not the right kind of. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Person. Right. And, and then, you know, suddenly you're, it's an exclusive group and you want to be a part of that exclusive group. Right. It makes yeah. you feel like you're being rejected, which causes you to try to get into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's... Do our psychology break. Let's do it. Yeah. Is self-help a fraud? Uh, Jim Taylor, PhD, wrote an article in Psychology Today suggesting that it might be that personal transformation, growth, change, that's goals that everyone's aspiring to. And, you know, if you, <laughs> he says, without change, as the old Texas adage goes... If all you ever do is all you've ever done, then all you'll ever get is all you've ever got. So if you don't change something, you won't get anything different. 
Right. It's like the cliche. Yeah, it is. Self-help is a $10 billion a year industry. He says, what does the size of the self-help industry tell us? That no one has found the answers or the secrets. Yes. Yeah. Well, and there's a big disconnect because reading self-help does not mean people are applying it well. So even if you were to read a great book about it, you're still not saying that that it's bad information because it wasn't successful because you have to look at the other failure point, which is the ability to assess it and apply it and use it and actually grow from it. Yeah. Uh, you know. And that's exactly what he goes on to say, that change is simple, but it is not easy. You decide what you want to do, but then you actually have to do it. And as long as there are books that you can buy for under $30 or DVDs or online courses or things that are relatively affordable that promise this magic bullet, there's going to be a self-help industry. And that people will continue to pursue these things because if you don't continue to pursue them, then you're admitting defeat. You're saying that you're committing yourself to a lifelong sentence of not being successful, happy, rich, thin, loved, whatever, 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 whatever it is you're seeking to change about yourself. If you just give up, then you're condemning yourself to a life without it, which isn't necessarily true. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But a lot of people yeah. look at their life and these sorts of things in a very simplistic manner. Yeah. It's black and white, you know, yeah. and self-help it's hard because self-help, it really, it's a very muddy sort of industry because you don't have to have any credibility or expertise to be able to be published. And so there's two sides. Uh, of that Keith Ranieri. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to have this uh, documentation. And yet on the other hand, as we know, there are a lot of wonderfully wise, insightful people out there who could absolutely write books that change our lives and yeah. speak to us just because they have the ways of their mind, you know, that yeah. are just so, uh, wondrous. I mean, just so beautiful yeah. and they don't go on to pursue degrees like this. Um, you know, authors, uh, really a fiction that, that speak of very deep things, you know? Um, so it, we all know that people out there have a lot to say and that sometimes that can be super, super helpful. But when you're looking at books that are actually geared towards helping you, like they're explicitly saying, I'm going to hang a shingle with my book and say, I have an ability to say, this is what you should do. And this is how you should do it. And here's what the research says that's when you kind of have to be a little bit more careful. I mean, if you're just looking for inspiration from around, well, in today's society, I mean, blogs. Can we just say blogs? Yeah. Like, let's go read. There's a lot of people out there who have a great amount of things to say. Um, but so the e ESP, the Executive Success Program. Okay. Okay. So this was basically a regurgitation of several different things, all packaged in one shiny, very expensive package. You mean rational inquiry wasn't... Something that <laughs> Keith Ranieri came up all on his own. He borrowed from other people. Say oh, it ain't so. He, he stole. He's from a other people. shyster. I mean, what? really? Yeah. Can you 
you believe it? A guy like him? Hmm. Yeah, he stole from several things. So um, it's a combination of like 1970s self-help programs, um, EST, um, and from uh, objectivism, an ideological system um, that was founded by uh, Ayn Rand. Um, so this is... <laughs> oh, really? This <laughs> is uh, the uh, quote that's in the Rolling Stone article on Nexium, uh-huh. uh, which we'll definitely have to post. And this is what it says. It was a <laughs> old bag of tricks repackaged, regurgitated universal truths about how to improve yourself and how to look closer at things that are getting in your way of success and your fears. So this is that truth that's gotten lies inside. It's just, yeah, it's just perverted, you know? And so it's just hard because the self-help, there's a lot of good self-help out there. There's a lot of great things you can read that can be very, very helpful to you, but um, you do have to be discerning. You do have to be careful. You don't want to take every word without scrutinizing, you know, what it is. And it's just like raising children. What works for somebody else won't necessarily work for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to get like continually look at, oh, okay, well, this doesn't work for my baby because my baby is an individual and I am also an individual. So we have to find what works for the both of us. Right. And you do. You want to gravitate towards books that are written by authors who maybe have some credentials. Um, or similar ideological backgrounds. Maybe so. Yeah. You just have to be that careful be of weary logic. Though, it's weary logic. It's it's people who go and they make accusations of of well, you, they're making an accusation about you, yeah. right? Kind of actually really very similar to what you were saying about the, about the questions being so early on about the self-sabotage. You have to be careful about people who are going to make accusations about you without, um, without understanding generation. the real research and logic behind it. Confounds who make associations between two things without really understanding, you know, why the association exists. Um, For instance, current event news. Okay. There is an article. It is circulating all over Facebook as we speak. Uh It's everywhere because there was a study that came out and linked lowering depression symptoms with better eating. And the world has gone crazy over this. They're really excited. See, I told you eating better cures depression. Because this study came out and said, we have these participants, we helped them to eat better, and we saw in the ones who ate better and the ones who, versus the ones who did not eat better that the depression symptoms were lowered. Sounds great. Major flaw. There's no control. Yeah. There's no actual control. So let me explain. They had two groups. They had a group that they, that they spoke to that they coached on how to eat better, gave them money to go buy it, and then assessed them. That's the group that lowered their depression uh, symptoms. The other group was just the group. There was no money given. There was no interviews. There was no teaching. So can anybody guess what the confound is? It's the attention. Because we already know from previous research that 
focused attention on someone, that receiving attention can actually help reduce symptoms. This is why we talk about, you know, finding groups and right. finding help and yada, yada. So we don't know whether it was the diet or whether it was the fact that they were given money and coaching. It's more about the relationship than it is about the... So we still don't know. We don't know. They should have well, had a control group where they did them coaching and they gave them money, but for but asked them to buy other food so that the attention given both groups was the same. Then we would know for sure. But there's a bunch of people out there right now who are screaming their heads off about eating better cures per depression. And you know, somebody is going to get a call from their mama and it's not going to be pretty. No. And from their why didn't sister. Why you feed me better? That's why I'm depressed. Right. Or why don't you eat better? That's why you're depressed. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, nobody's talking about this control group. Buy a book by somebody who's going to be able to tell you whether the study was done well. Yes. <laughs> well, a few years ago, they said that exercise cured depression <sighs> and they've since debunked that. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. It, the exact same thing. You know. And now eating better and exercising will probably make you feel better. If you have a very mild depression, it may help you. It but may. it's not the only thing that will help you. No. You you know, if you're exercising, maybe you're going to a gym, you're going to group exercise classes and you're making new friends. It may not be the exercise, just like it may not be the food. Right. So you have to be careful with you want you want a self-help book that actually can break those things down and give you some actual helpful advice. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> uh so there's that. Yeah. So um whether it's a fraud or not, personal development will probably make you miserable. So most personal development is built on a foundation of inadequacy, says Peter Shallard on his own personal website. And he went to a lot of like self-help seminars and things to try and help improve his career. And some of them were legitimately helpful. And um, he said, but the real problem is that until there's something wrong with you, there's not anything to be fixed. So if you have if you're happy and satisfied, you're not a good customer for nope. self-help or personal development. And he said, that's why it's such an issue because it's really, they're telling you there's something wrong with you. And if you can come to the point where you're happy with who you are, they don't really want that because you're going to stop going to their seminars. You're going to stop buying their books. You're going to stop watching their DVDs. You're going to stop taking their online courses that they're not really, they're just designed to tell you how bad you are and let me fix it for you. Yeah. And those, those are the bad ones. Those are the bad ones. These are the, these are the groups you just don't want to be a part of. Yeah. You don't want to be a part of those. And you I know? think the ones that are the most helpful aren't going to end up in the self-help section. They're going to end up in a different, they're going to end up in religion or, you know, diet or some other portion. Actually, the psychology section, y'all. Yeah. Like, that's a great place to go look for self-help if you want to learn about something. Because, for instance, Russell Brand right now, can we talk about Russell Brand for a minute? Sure. He has got some fantastic freaking books out there oh right now. Oh my gosh. I read one of his, I think I read his first book years ago. It was so good. This is an individual that absolutely fits that 
that exception where he doesn't have necessarily the training, but because of his personal experience and then what he's gone through and then his due diligence and research, he creates a book that is informative, absolutely delightful and has real help in it. Um, most of it's about addiction recovery. Um, absolutely fabulous. And you know where you find that the psychology section. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So Sarah said that she felt really close to the women that she was branded with. And that's called a trauma bond. Yeah, think of the movie Speed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only reason that Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, her... Sandra Bullock? Yeah, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, okay. I couldn't remember for sure for a second there. I was like, wait, maybe it wasn't her. Yeah, it was her. That's the only reason that they were, you know, into each other. Yeah, was because they bonded over the trauma so Mm -hmm. it's similar to stockholm syndrome and it's not necessarily a bad thing though no not it is a pattern it's something to understand yeah but it can be helpful i mean when you are in a trauma those people you went through it with do become something of a a special bond because no one else has the same experience as you right um nobody can share it the way that that they can. Um, and there's a mutual encouragement there that can be helpful and get you through it. Yeah. You know, well, and soldiers talk about that Mm -hmm. a lot. They have, when they're in combat together, they have, they basically have trauma bonding that, that nobody at home can really understand why they feel the way they do. Right. Yeah. So it's not altogether a bad thing that it happens. It's a, one of those survival techniques. Right. Dr. Janja Lalich who is the expert in the show. She is an expert on cults and she's written several books. She comes at it not only from an academic perspective as she is a professor emerita of sociology at California State University, but she was also in a political cult for 10 years. Wow. So she's been through it. Yeah. The Democratic Workers Party was a... Cult, and it was a, it, not dissimilar to Nexium in that uh, it was not religion based; that it was based on other things. But it was very much a cult. So, and that really spurred her desire to learn more about it. And I thought she did a great job of yeah, speaking some things in the show and having some good insight. I, that's so important that we understand the mechanisms of cults. Um, I think what makes Nexium so scary and Keith Raniere so scary is the fright experiment. This was somebody who was using academic tools to try to learn how to control better yeah. and to learn who he could control better. Yeah. This was terrifying oh. th- that he was able to use that, that he got hold of the equipment to do this, that he... It's terrifying. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll get there. So why do people join cults? That is a great question. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the answers are often quite sad because they resonate with people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, any of us could have ended up in a cult if we had a different set of circumstances or just been in a different place at a different time. Uh Uh-huh. 
you know, I mean, yeah. you see, you really identify with Sarah. I totally identify. Yeah. I could see, I mean, I don't know that I would have, I'm not saying that, No, no. but no. what I'm saying is that a lot of the language that they were using, I could have seen that if used on me in certain ways, it would have been hard for me at some points in my life. I have a, I have a compassion for, for why they were sucked into it. No. I do. You might have, you might have gone for the $300 training. You wouldn't have gone right in for the $2,500 training. Maybe. I'm training. still pretty cheap. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> so cult members are typically psychologically healthy, maybe even idealistic people, but they're going through normal life blips, like a breakup or a move, a transition of some kind. Um, and that makes them a little more susceptible to the cult's messaging. So it's a combination of the idealism and the emotional upheaval and people who are actively looking for solutions. And the cults provide structure, authority, and close social contacts. So, a community. Yeah, a, a community. fellowship. Yeah. For those who need something. Yep. And they continue to go along with the group because they've been convinced that the group is right, even when it goes against what they might personally believe. They've been convinced that, oh, well, I've been wrong in the past and the group's been right, so I'm going to continue to follow the group. And that kind of brings a distortion to their ability to discern the actions of the group. Right. You become less confident. Yes. You actually become less confident, but you're accepted into something. Yeah. Right. And so in your lack of confidence, you begin to doubt your own observations. Right. You know, but the acceptance, the relationships you build are edifying and encouraging and and there's a shared environment and there's accountability, you know, for growing and getting better. So they really deal also in a, a version of hope. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's- but that hope, it relies on the person lacking something, not looking forward to something. Aw, that's sad. So online psychology degree, a website, had some insights into behavior behind people who are joining cults and some statistical stuff that women are a lot more likely to join cults. Like 70% of cult members around the globe are women. Um, And partly because we attend more social gatherings. Men just don't attend them as often. And therefore we end up in groups that might eventually victimize us. Right. I mean, shoot, we go to the bathroom in groups. Yeah, exactly. I have to go. Come with me. Yeah. I don't want to go alone. You know, and it's so interesting. I mean, I I don't usually generally have a problem going to the bathroom by myself, but (laughs) you know, sometimes it's just more fun because then you have somebody to talk to while you Uh wash your hands and while you walk back and forth. And it's also a safety thing, which we don't, I don't really think about very much for myself. But like if we're out somewhere and my daughter needs to go to the bathroom, I always go with her. Yeah. And And, I don't have a daughter. And so. But do you stand outside the restroom? No. No? I mean, not anymore. Yeah. But when they were little, right? When they were little, yeah. 
Yeah. When they were little, for sure. When they were little, little, you take them into the ladies' room. Oh, well, when they're, yeah. when they're less little, but still kind of little, you know, you go stand outside, outside the door. The uh-huh. and you, uh, yeah, I used to have this conversation with my son when he was a little guy. If somebody touches you in there, scream your head off, I'll come in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we've he was had like, that. you will come into the men's room? I'm like, yeah, I will. Yeah, we have our go crazy plan, yeah. which I realize, I realize now is, you know, oppressively named. Um, <laughs> but that's our go crazy plan is, is anytime they were going to be at some place where I had no reason to distrust it, felt generally good, but didn't have any kind of record of confidence right. with, right? Um, so I started teaching them about what their response needs to be if they feel at all uncomfortable. And I started speaking to them about the fact that no friend of mine is worth you feeling uncomfortable. So I don't care if I'm friends with their parents. Oh, that's I'll good. lose that friendship immediately. Because if they're really my friend, they will be by your side immediately. Yeah. They and if they don't, I don't you. need to speak to them again. Yeah. Aww. So, because, you know, this is what happens with kids is they go into a situation and they're like, yeah, but that's my mom's friend. And I don't want her to lose her friend if I go crazy. And if I scream because I feel uncomfortable, Mm-mm. you don't have to feel bad about that. And then we have our, our, um, keep a watch out. But if you ever feel like you're sort of being followed, you got to stay in the group. But if some reason you get separated, you start throwing a tantrum. I'm talking you rip pictures off the wall, knock lamps over. I'm talking you start kicking things. You don't even have to attack the person. I'm talking just the general room. You start absolutely destroying it. And they're like, but what if we break something expensive? Do you see how easy this goes? All the rules we teach them about being good people come against them. And I was like, no, 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 no. You break it all. What if it's something that's irreplaceable? You're irreplaceable. Yeah. Like your confidence, your safety, who you are is irreplaceable. It's amazing to me that like my healthy kids had all of these general reactions and we had to talk about how they could go crazy, but it's part of our socialization that makes us vulnerable to the cult because we don't want to offend certain people. We don't want to break people's stuff, you know, or their dreams or their hearts or their trust. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Most people are good. Yes. (laughs) Cults tend to cultivate an us versus them mentality. Yeah, there you go. Cults mm-hmm. cultivate. Like Cults that. cultivate. Yeah. Uh, just that, you know, anybody who doesn't agree with you is against you. And, you know, that's how they isolate current members from former members, former members, people they have relationships with who have seen the destruction of the organization or the destructive nature of the organization. Those are the ones who could most easily talk to current members. And by putting them us versus them, it really isolates you and keeps you from being able to be in contact with those people. Well, it's a facilitation of that whole entrenchment. You make them the enemy and then everything they say makes your beliefs more entrenched. Right. You know, so there's no relationship anymore. You know, it's, it's zero sum. You were with me or you were against me. You can't, you can't like me or have your best interest for me and also disagree with me. Oh, it's so manipulative. And in fact, it'll go down to little things. For instance, uh, controlling the language, 
right? Uh-huh. Um, you say this, you don't say that. And it, it comes across harsh. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Punishment. Um, controlling how you think about things. Um, as in, we say it this way. We don't say it that way. And I'm not talking about branding, like marketing kind of stuff that people use. I'm talking about like, if you say it this other way, they will not attack you for not representing well the brand. They will attack your morality. Morality, yeah. Right. They, they come down to who you are. So, or if you make a mistake, there's something wrong with you, not something that went wrong that need to be corrected. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very, well, it does. It creates that air of exclusivity yeah. and this is how we are, do it. It's so manipulative and ugly. Yeah. It's, it's the demonization of words and phrases. Language matters a lot. Yeah. In fact, that, that can be your first thing. When you see a demonization of certain words or certain phrases, mm. that can be kind of a, a caution flag. It's a red flag. Hmm. Cult leaders are masters of mind control. They use things like public humiliation, self-incrimination, which is what we saw in DOS, brainwashing, paranoia, to isolate and control. And a lot of cult members, like most of them in Nexium, don't realize that they're in a cult. Right. <laughs> they can't see the danger that they're in or that they're posing to other people. And they can be any kind of group. Any kind of group. Any kind of group. So you just have to be careful. All right. So real life. Real life. <sighs> So uh, Keith Ranieri was purported to have an IQ of 240. So how does that compare? So we've already mentioned that anybody over about 140 is typically considered a genius. So for the most part, 95% of the population ranges somewhere between a, a 70 and a 130 on the most typical IQ scale. This says anybody over 145 is typically considered a genius. So in that range, mm-hmm. you know, you give a little for the testing, the person who's doing the testing and stuff like that. Right. There's some standard deviation also yeah. and just some error, standard error. So Stephen Hawking had an IQ of like 160. And these people have like legitimate IQ scores. Like they were tested by professionals Unlike Keith Ranieri, who did an at-home IQ test and scored 240. Oh, he cheated. What is the perfect score on the actual test? There there isn't a perfect score because of the way that it's scored. It's like, it's a scale. 
I'm not exactly sure. I think there is no real upper limit, but my understanding is that anything above 250 or 300, there wouldn't be scores typically higher than that. Hmm. That there's not a, I don't understand exactly the scoring because yeah. I'm not a genius because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't score high enough on the test no, in the well. fourth grade. <laughs> Uh, Albert Einstein IQ of, uh, somewhere between 160 and 190. And they're basing that off of, um, answers that he'd given to quite, he didn't actually take an IQ test. So they're, they're, they're kind of making some assumptions. Yeah. Based there. on his work and his contributions. And I'm sorry. Uh, Keith Ranieri's no Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein. Uh, no. The highest IQ person on the list was a young man named Ainan Celeste Cawley. And he was born in 1999. And he has a projected score, like he was off the charts, (laughs) of 263. Because once they get above 250, everything is an estimate, I guess. Okay. It's not good at beyond that. So... He passed O-level chemistry at the age of seven, which what? I guess is hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess you know what O-level chemistry is. Just, I mean, well, I mean, like, I could read you a class description, but <laughs> I mean, no. I get, yeah. it's, it's very challenging chemistry. It's very challenging chemistry. Yeah. yeah. So basically what they're talking about is that they're pretty good at assessing IQ tests are at assessing our deliberative skills, but they're not really good at determining whether we have an inclination to use those skills. Well, no, (laughs) you can be a genius and also be a failure in all the ways that really matter. Well, that's true. And in fact, even research will show that IQ is a, is not a great predictor of success. Yeah. They likened it to basketball players here Mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're, if you have height, that's good for a basketball player, but only if you also have the desire to play basketball and the talent to play basketball. Right. You can have desire and talent and be good as a shorter person, but you're going to do better at it if you're a taller person. Right. So really you can probably do whatever it is you're going to set your mind to. You just might have to work a little harder at it than somebody with a 263 IQ. And I don't believe for a minute that Keith Ranieri was 240. No. Well, it's a self-proclaimed number here. We don't have any proof. And, you know, I don't believe it either. I don't. Not for a minute. Allison Mack wasn't the only Smallville actor who was in Nexium. Really? She recruited... Callum Blue, who was also in Smallville, and he was on The Tudors. That's where I recognize him I was about to say, from. that name, where, where do I know him from? I gotta well, look him the up. The Tudors, he's adorable. I don't get the impression that he was, like, deep into it, but he had, like, done some classes and was sort of tertiarily involved. Hmm. So, what now for Nexium? Keith Ranieri's in jail. He was supposed to be sentence in September of 2019 after his convicted conviction in June of 2019 they've pushed that sentencing back 
to probably January 2020. It's not sure. Why did they do that? Do I we don't know. know. Hmm. I was not able to find that information. I think the minimum that he can get is 15 years. And I think it'll be much, much more than that, considering he got convicted on all seven counts. I hope it's much, much longer than that. It should be much, much longer than that. But he's a rich white man. So, you know, take that into account. So what's, what's next for Nexium? Rick Ross is quoted in an article by Robert Gavin in the Albany Times Union. And he said, I don't expect to see Nexium continuing in any meaningful way. I've heard that there are splinter groups that are getting together and extolling the philosophy of rational inquiries laid out by Keith Ranieri. Are there people getting together? Yes, but they have no charismatic leader. They have no meaningful assets. They have no meaningful cash flow. I think that Nexium will dissipate. I don't think that anyone will step into the power vacuum and reinstate the group and unite the factions of people that are left in the residue of what's happened. So it is a legal entity. They're currently meeting their obligations. It's going to disappear. Why can't it just die? Well, it probably will. Let's hope. They're going to run out of money and stop meeting those obligations, and they're just going to disappear. The doctor involved in the fright experiment, Dr. Brandon Porter, um, he was notified on August 20th, 2019, by the New York State Department of Health that he had to uh, surrender his medical license because, oh, by the way, that was super unethical. You can't do that. And, um, of course, as one does, Sarah wrote a book. Of course. Yeah. As one does. Yeah. And on the one hand, tell your story. It's an interesting, fascinating story to tell. Might be useful to some people. But the author of this review in the New York Times, Jessica Bruder, she has some questions. Oh, yeah? I'm also with this. Is Edmondson a brave feminist, a victim-turned-whistleblower in the age of Me Too, Or is she someone who benefited from the cult, had an attack of conscience, and then stumbled into a painful kind of fame? There's a troubling absence at the heart of the book. What became of all her recruits? The narrative feels more like a dishy tell-all than an investigative or literary work. Well... I mean, did we expect her to all of a sudden become a literary genius? No. (laughs) I mean, uh... She said, it's at once riveting and disturbing. Scarred, the name of her book, is a brave but messy stab at redemption, one that succeeds more as a cautionary tale than an apology. Do you think she owes an apology? Oh, More so than she's given. Her contriteness doesn't seem entirely authentic to me. So you don't consider her fully a victim? I do, but she's also an actress who wrote a book and somebody who's been seeking fame since her teenage years, and now she's finding it. So I'm always trying to look at like people's ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I don't, I don't think that she's, it's messy because I don't think that she's lying. And I don't really think that she had a lot of nefarious intent. I think she really did want to help people as part of Nexium, but she was really blinded to the damage that it was causing, that she willfully ignored some of that. And I understand that's cult indoctrination behavior, but the way she handles herself in the interviews, a lot of the time, she's eating it up. She's just, she's enjoying the attention so much. And it, there's something about it that just hits me the wrong way. And I don't know if it's just maybe she and I wouldn't be friends. Mm-hmm. She's not somebody I would choose to spend a lot of time with, even though she seems very nice and fun. I bet she's really fun to party with and hang out with and, you know, go to the movies or go shopping with. I'm sure she has excellent taste. Shopping trips were something that (laughs) (laughs) these women did quite a lot of. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I bet she's really fun to hang out with, but there's just... There was something that hit me wrong, and whereas she was taught to not listen to her gut by this cult. I have always listened to my gut. And one of the worst issues I've ever had in my life were the times that I ignored that feeling. When I ignored what was happening around me and the red flags and the warning bells that were going off, that's when the worst stuff has happened to me. Instead of taking a step back and evaluating was I needlessly worried about something? But the same kind of things that give me pause in those situations that I should have listened to are the kind of things that I feel when I see her interviewed. Interesting. I don't know what that is. I think there's maybe more to the story. And I don't know what it is. And I kind of really hope I'm wrong. I kind of really hope that she's just really a person turning over a new leaf. But you have... You have a hesitation. I do. One of those abstract ones. You can't point to evidence and say yeah. this, 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 and this. And I'm not trying to like defame her. And maybe it's just maybe I'm completely wrong about this. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like she has ulterior motives here, and it's not just that she's trying to help other people not get involved in this this kind of cult. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about her. Although, I don't know how I feel about this review either. Oh, really? Well, I haven't read the book, so... Well, I haven't read the book either. Um, It just came out, like, in September of 2018. It's new. But the kind of criticisms that she has of the book are the kind of... They kind of verbalize the misgivings I have or have had listening to Sarah's interviews that she's given. Hmm. Well, obviously, this reviewer feels the same way. Yeah. It feels very obvious from this reviewer that she does not believe. 
It's not that she this doesn't woman. believe. It's I, and I think she's similar to to me. And I don't know if maybe that's just me trying to attribute my own thought process to somebody else. But it's not that I don't believe her. It's that I wonder what else she's trying to accomplish. Well, I could say that I think that she's trying to accomplish finding meaning in those horrible things she's ever been through. Sure. Right? Like she, I could see that she'd be trying to reconcile it. Yeah. This, that part of this writing, this book was as much to speak to herself as it would be to anybody else. Yeah. I don't, I mean, she probably is trying to help other people, but she's trying to help herself too. Mm. How else do you reconcile it? How else, how else do you go on? You know what I mean? And, I, I guess I, this sentence, she says, is Edmondson a brave feminist, a victim turned whistleblower in the age of Me Too, or is she someone who benefited from the cult, had an attack of conscience, and then stumbled into a painful mm. kind of fame? Why not both? both. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I feel like that it is can... the description. She is a brave feminist, a victim turned whistleblower in the age of Me Too, who had benefited from a cult, had an attack of conscience, and then stumbled into this painful kind of fame. Yeah, it's both. It's both you don't to have me. To, you don't have to. It doesn't have. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. That she's gaining the fame that she always wished, but in the absolute most horrific circumstances. Yeah, it's horrible. But I kind of feel like for everything she's been through, and and for the bravery to step out from it and then speak out from it. You know, knowing that that puts her at risk that, right. you know, maybe she is getting fame from it. But you know what? If she can make a living off of this and, and make an honest living, well, yeah. okay. You well, know? and she's, is it her responsibility to save all these people that she brought in? Not necessarily. She, Not necessarily. She really had to save herself and she can't save anybody else until she's saved herself. Well, no. And she actually, so this is something that um, the reviewer writes here. She says she apologizes to the loved one she alienated during her next same years and later compares herself to a soldier who returns from war to learn he'd killed children over a fight for oil orchestrated by a bigger machine than him. We wouldn't say that a soldier who come back from a war, like Vietnam, we don't like how Vietnam soldiers were treated when they got back because they didn't make the orders. They were just trying to do what's right. It's really not their fault that things weren't good. And people took it out on them in harsh and ugly ways and expected them to go and just save it all, right? right. Some people, not all. A lot of people were trying the right way to do that. But, but to kind of tell, uh, you know, to lay it at her feet. Yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying not to be too harsh. I don't know. I'm trying not to be too harsh, but I still feel like there's something. There's something. My gut still tells me there's something there. And I hope, I really, I hope I'm wrong. If I were to guess anything, I think the part of the story that we're not hearing is likely how she participated more directly uh. with recruits in certain things that probably she just can't bear to say. Yeah. Even if she feels awful about it. That would be my well, guess. Or things that she didn't even recognize as wrong when they happened, but now looking in hindsight, she's too ashamed to say them right. out loud. Well, because there was a lot, well, of, fair. a lot of abuse in an intimate manner throughout yeah. all of this. Yeah. And knowing that's going on and participating at the level she was... Ah. Yeah. Maybe you don't just want to go out there and be like, oh, hey, I was the one who... Yeah. Did X, Y, and Z because you know that nobody will ever see you yeah. past that. In yeah. the meantime, it's pretty clear that she's maybe not telling the whole story. Yeah. But do we yeah. need all the details no, or do we just need the truth? All, I don't want all the details. Yeah. I don't I, know. I, I hear your concerns though. Yeah. But I don't know if I, uh, 
But you seem to empathize with her a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, like you identify with her. Self-assured person. You have a lot more natural confidence and natural, like, you know, just I do now. I mean, I mean, I do now. Twenty too. years ago, I I don't know. I mean, but I I remember that. Like I can yeah. see it. Like I was looking at a different person, and I can look at who I was then, and I can almost tell you that it feels like looking at a different person. Yeah. Because to recognize that that was me and that I changed is hard because I want to believe I was always like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Makes but me I wasn't. sad for little Jackie. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I got yeah, out of it. I know, you know, but it's still, it makes me sad for little Jackie. It, it <laughs> makes me sad for little Chrissy when I was, you know, in school, still a minor, and I didn't have this kind mm-hmm. of self-confidence to, to say no or get myself out of bad situations. I got myself out of plenty of bad situations, See, but, you know, there are some that I didn't. Well, it's never black and white, right? No. It's, I mean, I always had a more dominant animated personality. Yeah. I always had a bit of me that looked like I was very strong and confident. There were certain amounts of danger I was extremely prepared to deal with. Yeah. But that sneaky kind of stuff... Yeah. That was a long time coming for me. Oh, see, and I was, yeah. you know, I mean, I was, I, yeah. you know, in high school, I was the one who stood out on my front lawn with my knife in my hand and dared my girlfriend's boyfriend to come. Oh, come on. Wow. I will take you down. I'll take you down right now. And you know what? He knew it. And yeah. He backed off. Yeah. See, overt danger, fear we can confront was always that way. I was always strong. It's this sneaky stuff yeah, that I had to work on. Yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm. That was the manipulative stuff because was it's harder. the yeah, it's the desire to not hurt. It's the desire mm-hmm. to not necessarily please, but to respect and to mm-hmm. to adhere to values and ethics. It's the trying not to be too selfish, trying not to be narcissistic. It's trying not to be self centered. All of that kind of stuff that makes you sort of a doormat. Like I don't have a problem saying. Oh, yes, I can do that. No, I can't do that. These are very overt, benign things. It's when it comes to the individual, it took me a long time to learn how to set boundaries. Mm. You have to learn how to set boundaries with an individual to keep from being recruited into this kind of stuff, right? It's a person that brought you in. It's a relationship that brought you in. You have to learn how to discern that. That's what I have a lot of grace for. Yeah. I'll spend more time there than I need to. Yeah. Not as much anymore. Yeah. Well, now I have a very, and looking at Sarah and Mark seemed like a very nice guy. Uh-huh. He's the one who brought her in. He seemed legitimately helped by this. He was mm-hmm. successful in his video production and things. And, you know, he was, and he was <sighs> the one then who told her to get out. Yeah. He was the one who said, you need to reconcile your junk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whatever they have on you, you need to get peaceful with it. Yeah. And then you need need to to go tell your friend, you need to go tell your family, this is the awful thing I said about you. And I know it's not true and I'm really sorry, but they might release it. Like you have to get, get good with it and get out. Yeah. That's, that's advice for everyone, wherever you are, whatever you think people have on you, whatever you think people are going to tell others about you, whatever it is that you think that they are holding over your head That's what you need to make peace with and get out. Yeah, for sure. So next time, we're going to watch the movie Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. I'm excited. 
So I, yeah, I, it's just it's only on Killer Fun. Yeah, yeah. seven psychopaths. I'm excited! Hooray! Yay! Yeah, oh. so it's a uh, erstwhile screenwriter and his uh, dog napping friend. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be delightful. I know it's weird. I hope so. It is weird. It's just weird. It but is you know. weird. And you know, you can watch it if you want beforehand, or. You know, if it's not something that you're sure you'll be interested in, we'll tell you everything you need we'll to know. We'll tell you everything about it. All right. So join us next time. We thank you for listening. We know that we don't just come on the radio. You make a choice when you listen to us. We so appreciate it. Do subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend because it's way more fun to talk about it with a friend after you've both listened to the episode. So tell a friend and send them our way. All right. And um, we will see you two weeks yeah. from now. Bum, bum, bum. Cryptocast has been trapped inside a spooky, potentially haunted movie theater by a madman who is forcing them to record episodes on scary movies they know nothing about. They've been promised a grand reward if they survive the month. Will they? Tune in to find out. Predictocast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>